Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, New York Jets fans? Welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. This episode following another ugly defeat, this time against the Philadelphia Eagles, the Jets lose 31-6 behind Luke Falk and even a little bit of David Fales. Basically the worst combination of quarterbacks you can possibly imagine. So that's what the Jets are dealing with, and of course the fan base is super upset. The Jets' offense is pitiful, can't get the ball moving at all. We've hardly scored any offensive touchdowns all season, two of them to be exact, and we've actually got more touchdowns on defense and special teams than we do on offense. So the fans have a right to be upset. They are not watching a good product on the field. But today, this morning, we get the big news that we've all been waiting for. Sam Darnold has officially been cleared from mono and is eligible to resume playing instantly. They've already said that he's going to be the starter for this week against Dallas, and this is huge news for the New York Jets. Not only is he the future of the New York Jets team, I mean, he's the guy that we're evaluating, he's the guy that this whole thing is built around, the franchise quarterback, Sam Darnold, right? It was a big deal when we got him. But also, he instantly makes this team so much better. I mean, everyone's been complaining about how this is a ridiculous team to watch. We can't get anything done. The offensive game plan is terrible. The offensive line can't block. Le'Veon Bell can't find any holes. The receivers can't catch all this stuff. And everything is a snowball effect from what we have lining up behind center. And I know everybody says, well, you can't make excuses when you have backup quarterbacks. Look what people like Kyle Allen are doing. Look what Gardner Minshew is doing, Daniel Jones. All of these guys, keep in mind, are second-string quarterbacks. We are on our third-string quarterback. So he holds the ball in the pocket for way too long, gets sacked repeatedly, makes our offensive line look worse than it should. Le'Veon Bell has eight guys stacked in the box against him repeatedly. He can't get a hole because it's filled by eight defenders, makes our offensive line look worse than it is, makes Le'Veon Bell look worse than he is. Luke Falk can't throw the ball downfield, makes Robbie Anderson look almost useless. Luke Falk can't make reads, so it makes basically everybody else on the field look useless. It's made Adam Gase look bad. It's made the Jets look bad. The off- Everybody's getting blamed right now. But I'm telling you right now that Sam Darnold being reinserted into this lineup is going to change everything. Right away, in my opinion. People say he didn't have a great week one against Buffalo Bills. He had mono for that game too. Your symptoms don't come... Uh, your symptoms are there before you can actually be tested and, you know, diagnosed with mono. So he had it when he played against the Bills, obviously feeling under the weather. He didn't have a great game, but certainly much better offensive showing from the entire unit than we saw in the last three games with Sam Darnold out. But we're getting him back. We're getting Herndon back. On defense, Brandon Copeland's coming back from his suspension. Quinnen Williams was back last week. Demarius Thomas was back last week and actually made some impactful plays. And right away, you're adding five starters to this unit that weren't there two weeks ago. A lot of these guys, really good players. And then you look at, maybe we're getting C.J. Mosley back. What about Jordan Jenkins? We haven't seen these guys in a couple weeks. We missed Kalecchi Osemele this week, Alex Lewis filling in for him. And I know we're not super happy with what the offensive line has done this year, even while Osemele is in there. But keep in mind, Sam Darnold is going to make the offensive line look so much better. They didn't look pitiful in preseason. They didn't even look pitiful against the Buffalo Bills. They didn't look good, but they have not looked nearly as bad as they've looked with Luke Falk there. Luke Falk holds the ball for too long, can't find anybody open, and just takes X. He just pump fakes around in the backfield, waiting for a guy to come and hit him. And that's what happened 10 times against the Eagles. That's not going to happen to Sam Darnold. Everybody's so worried. I wouldn't put him back out there. This guy's going to get his head exploded. 
Absolutely not. Sam Darnold, keep in mind, was dinking and dunking the entire first game. He's going to be able to make quick passes that are going to be able to negate an offensive or a defensive pass rush. So in the first game, that was happening. The Bills are trying to come after Sam Darnold. And what does he do? He makes quick passes to Jameson Crowder all game long, to the tune of a wide receiver record of receptions, 14 receptions. He just dinked it, dunked it, slants, flats, quick screens to Jameson Crowder over and over. Now, that will quickly negate whatever the defensive line, whatever the linebackers are trying to bring for pressure on Sam Darnold. Right, so now you're saying, well, what if they start jamming the receivers at the line and he can't make his quick passes to Le'Veon Bell, to Jamison Crowder? Well, then if they're going to press the receivers at the line, then all they have to do is beat the man and get a good first step, and Sam Darnold can touch pass right over the top. If they're going to play up close and send pressure, he's going to do a nice touch pass down the sidelines. Robbie Anderson, Demarius Thomas, that's what these guys are for. I mean, the entire unit starts to really click and work when you have the pieces that it was designed for playing. Sam Darnold, this whole thing is built around him. And Chris Herndon, who's coming back from suspension this week, is very clearly one of his best weapons and favorite targets on this team. He had a stretch of three three games last year where he had a touchdown in every game. I mean, him and Sam Darnold were clicking. Herndon had an incredible rookie year for what we were expecting from a guy drafted in the middle of the, of the draft. Had some injuries in Miami. Comes to the New York Jets, plays absolutely awesome football. And everybody's excited about Chris Herndon. This guy's the limit. Unfortunately, we have to wait four weeks before we see him. But he's back now. And Darnold's back. Demarius Thomas looks healthy. Played 78% of snaps this week. Demarius Thomas, clearly healthy. Quinton Williams played over 60% of snaps. He's clearly healthy. Brandon Copeland. We've had really no output from our outside linebackers, opposite of where Jordan Jenkins would play, who's also not there. Guys like Harvey Lange have tried. Um, Frankie Louvu's tried. Not done very well this year. The only guy that's really found success is Terrell Basham. But you had Brandon Copeland right back in there. He's instantly an improvement over almost all those guys. We'll see if he can beat out Basham. C.J. Mosley, get him back on the field. I mean, this this whole team is going to turn around. And we do have a tough game this week. We play the Dallas Cowboys, so it's not going to be a walk in the park. It's not like we're going to go out there and say, wow, look at this unit. Now we're putting up 40 points, giving up zero. That's not what this type of game is going to be. Maybe if Sam Darnold had his comeback party with all these players centered around like a Miami Dolphins week. That would be possible. But the Cowboys, they're coming off a bad loss to the Packers. They really want to win this thing. And they're going to give a hard time to this New York Jets team, regardless of who's playing on the field. I mean, if we were fully healthy going into this game, if Sam Darnold never had mono, this was going to be a tough game no matter what. So we can't act like it should be night and day different for the New York Jets. They're still going to have trouble out there. This is a good team they're playing. One of the better teams in the schedule for the entire 2019 season. But you are going to notice a difference. They're not going to be thrown for... 100 passing yards and 40 rushing yards. It's not going to be one of those games where just nothing is working. Receivers aren't catching the ball. Dump-offs to Le'Veon Bell for the first, what, 10 plays of the game. It's not going to be like that anymore. And so I am ridiculously excited. This is a huge day for us. This is a huge day for the New York Jets. We knew it was coming, but it just, we've suffered so much this season. And perhaps the season's already lost. We are 0-4. I projected that we'd be 1-3 and three at this point and then lose to Dallas, so we would go to 1-4 and four and still finish the season 8-8, eight and 9-7. Eight, and seven. So technically, if the New York Jets beat the Cowboys, they're right back on schedule 1-4, and four, and they can still finish 8-8, eight and 9-7. Eight, and seven. Sure, it's all possible. But it's all about being able to be proud of your team again, not be embarrassed. Everybody had their head in the sand. I can't watch this team anymore. I can't be around it. Fire everybody. Cut these players. It's not that type of football anymore. The New York Jets are now a team that no matter who they play against, as long as they have these guys in the lineup, Sam Darnold especially, 
CJ Mosey, if they can get him back, we know how big a deal he is. But you put them on the field, and we're going to be able to compete against any team. It's not going into those Eagles games and those Patriots games like, shoot, we got to just play this game and hope to get out of it. Let's see if we can score a touchdown. No, those days are over. We're looking for wins now. We're looking to stack wins together now. We don't know exactly how many we're going to get, but I still think six, seven, eight wins is possible. And who knows? I will always hold on to hope that we can capture lightning in a bottle, go on a crazy win streak during the soft part of the schedule, weeks 8 to 14, win all those games, end up 9 and 7, 10 and 6, some playoff team. It's all possible. We're not mathematically eliminated, no way. And we have not seen our offense play yet. We watched Sam Darnold play one game against a good Buffalo Bills defense, the first game of the year when everybody's rusty, and the guy had mono. So now everything changes. Healthy. He got reps last week. He's getting reps this week. He's got his weapons back. And New York Jets football just became cool again. I don't care if we're not going to make the playoffs. I don't care if we're already 0-4. I'm not willing to just throw the towel and say this is all stupid now. we got a ton of stuff to evaluate. And I just want to watch this team start kicking some butt. I want to watch this on Sunday. I'm watching the games regardless. And I'm tired of sitting there and watching no first downs, punt, backed up within your own 20-yard line over and over, drive after drive. It's not going to happen anymore. And I'm excited. So today's a party for all the people who've been sticking with the Jets, listening to this podcast. Numbers are down. Nobody wants to hear about the New York Jets when we're losing. Why would you? It's depressing. There's nothing good to talk about. But we've been doing it anyway, trying to stay positive, finding good things about the New York Jets, something to hang our hat on each week. And now we suffered through it. We waited for three short weeks. And now Sam Darnold's back and we get to party. So that is the longest introduction I am ever going to do for this show, I believe. I just, too much excitement, too much raw emotion, wanted to get it out there because this is the day that I've been waiting for. I was tweeting it this morning. I was just all, my whole day is just centered around the test results of Sam Darnold. Fingers crossed all morning. What kind of news are we going to get? It comes out. I'm on cloud nine. I love this New York Jets team. I love watching the New York Jets. It just sucks when you're watching Luke Falk because he was never supposed to play. I mean, Simeon, you still account for like, all right, backup quarterback probably plays two, three games a year on average. That happens. Third string quarterback, never supposed to touch the field. David fails, fourth string quarterback touched the field. Never supposed to happen. And so we're back on schedule to the team that I've been looking forward to all year playing that I haven't gotten to see play yet. None of us have gotten to see play yet. Sacker did not be happy. So that's our long intro. We are going to get to this episode, but it's going to be a little different than usual because we usually do focus the episodes this time of year around a game recap, you know, the team stats, the snaps, the player performances. We're going to do all that still, um, and that's still going to be the middle of this episode, but it's going to be shorter because, frankly, we don't really care about that stuff anymore. We don't care how Luke Falk played because, ideally, he's never going to touch the field again. May never play another NFL down again. And that's perfectly okay with Jets fans, I'm sure. So we don't want to beat a dead horse and say, well, the Jets couldn't get the ball moving, the Jets can't get offenses. We're going to have to do it a little bit because that's what happened. But we're not going to talk about it too, too much. We're going to focus more on the positive moving forward because that's what this is all centered around now. Not what happened in the past. The future is now, and it starts this week. So we're going to do an AFC East check-in, a what's on tap. We're going to do a game recap. Got a quick father time. Dad was busy, but he got something over to me. And then uh, a brief Dallas preview as well. So, uh, yeah, let's get into that stuff. But first, as always, I encourage you to rate, review, subscribe, anything positive uh, regarding this episode. If you enjoy it, go ahead, do that stuff wherever you listen to the podcast. 
want to remind you that this is hosted by SB Nation, part of the Gangrene Nation New York Jets fan site, which is an awesome site. The guy that runs the whole site, John B., and a bunch of the team that works over there puts out articles every day. They've got podcasts. They've got articles. The fans that are on that site are a little crazy, of course, right? I mean, they're New York Jets fans, for crying out loud, but it's a good time. They know their football. It's a passionate fan base, and it's a great site. Happy to be a part of it. So gangreennation.com, another place that you can check these episodes out, comment, interact, any of that stuff as well. So I appreciate any of that. Now moving forward to an AFC East check-in. It's what we thought. The Patriots are dominating, one of the only undefeated teams in the league. The Bills are doing better than anybody else expected. They got an awesome defense. Josh Allen still tries to play hero ball, has a lot of growing to do, but he's got enough ability to move the ball, run the ball, get touchdowns, and uh, behind that defense, they're playing pretty well, so they are now fighting for a playoff spot as well. It's early in the season still, but clearly Buffalo Bills are one of the stronger teams in the AFC right now. Then you got the Jets 0-4, Dolphins 0-4. The Jets are not as bad as the Dolphins. The Dolphins are giving up over 40 points a game, and they are absolutely pitiful. The Jets are really bad, but they're playing Luke Falken. And David Faleson still not giving up that many points. Not quite as lame as the Miami Dolphins. Luckily, we get to play them twice still. So those should be good uh, good fun beatdowns, hopefully, for the New York Jets. But obviously, we're at the very back of the AFC. We're at the very back of the AFC East. It looks like we probably won't be winning this division. And as mentioned before, we probably won't be making the playoffs at this point. But we do still have four divisional games left, and those would be great games that we'd love to win. We definitely don't want to give the Bills an easy ride into the playoffs. We'd love to do anything that we can to slow the Patriots down, take away home field advantage from them, and uh, just really try to pick up a little bit of ground on these teams, not finish so far away. I'm not looking for draft picks. I'm past that. We have Sam Darnold. I think that with the right decisions, with strong draft picks in the middle of the first round, later in the first round, later in the draft, and then smart free agency moves and contract extensions, I think the Jets can be a very good consistent playoff team. I don't think that it requires finishing last in the league and getting a top three pick over and over. You're never going to hear me rooting for the New York Jets to lose a game. Regardless of what the pick status is, I always want them to go out there, compete on Sundays, and win the game. That's just how it is. So that's a quick look at the AFC East and the AFC in general. I mean, we don't have to spend too much time looking at that because frankly, if you're a New York Jets fan, we got to focus on ourselves right now. We got a lot of stuff going on internally with our team and players coming back. We'll focus on the rest of the league when we start winning some games, getting some traction going. At this point, it's not even worth talking about the teams that are undefeated or close to it or fighting for playoff spots. So we won't. Instead, we'll go and take a little pit stop at the cooler for a What's On Tap. That is right, it's What's On Tap, the segment of the show where I talk about the beer that I'm currently drinking. And today is a Reverse Cosmosis India Pale Ale brewed by Sky Gazer Brewing Company here in my hometown of Southington, Connecticut. So this one here is a 7.4% IPA that is similar to the style that I usually like, except it's way too sweet, and I can't really get past that. I thought that it was going to be good because they make pretty good IPAs over there. It's kind of their specialty. They usually have like five or six rotating IPAs at Skygazer. Um, you have to buy it at the facility. You can't get them distributed at any package stores yet but this one uh it kind of sucks because it's just ridiculously sweet and also i'm i'd love to read everything that's going on in this can right now they write the entire thing upside down because it's reverse cosmosis so reverse play on that as you've a little bit of a theme here in these episodes with these what's on taps is that people like to be funny when making beers it's a great opportunity to get a great joke in there so here the joke is i can hardly read this thing let me see if i can get it without spilling this beer yeah, uh, it says, 
This artisan beer has been handcrafted with painstaking love, devotion, and care. Please enjoy it thoroughly and thoughtfully with great company. Keep this cold at all times. I think that's the exact same thing that the other beer said. So this is not a specific label at all. It's just uh, another Skygazer beer. And, hmm. I don't think that I would... 7.4%, so I'm going to feel pretty good by the time I'm done drinking it. Coming home from work, haven't eaten anything yet. It's the best part of the day. You can have one nice tall boy 16-ouncer like this and, and be feeling pretty good making an episode. So I love that, but the flavor overall, I mean, unless you like really sweet IPAs that are high in alcohol, I wouldn't really recommend it. It's, uh, I mean, it's not very carbonated. It's in the can right now, so I can't see the color, but I imagine it's a dark colored IPA. And I don't know if they put sugar or what in it, but it's just way too sweet for my liking. And that's all right. We'll drink it anyway. It's beer, all beer you know, keep in mind, it's like football, even as bad as the New York Jets game can possibly be, I still love it more than anything, I still loved watching the Jets play the Eagles, I didn't love the outcome, I didn't love what I was watching, but there was nowhere else I would rather be than sitting on the couch watching the New York Jets playing at that moment in time with whoever they had in the stable, even if it's Luke Falk, I just want to watch the Jets, and same with beer, I just want to be drinking beer, so as bad as it is, sure, we'll enjoy it, I don't recommend the Skygazer, luckily it's not available in stores, and probably won't be anytime soon. So that's what's on tap today. All right, moving on from what's on tap, we're going to get into a little bit of a game recap against the Philadelphia Eagles. Nobody wants to talk about it, but we know we have to do it. 31-6, to the New York Jets lose this one in an absolute blowout. Terrible offenses coupled by sometimes porous defense and issues on special teams and everything else. But really, as we've talked about, it all came down to Luke Falk and his utter inability to play. Now, we did score an offensive touchdown in this game, so we're not as pissed off as we could have been, but it was bad. We played this one. Uh, Luke Falk couldn't get anything going. The first, I don't know what it was. It was like the first 13 plays or something were all touches by Le'Veon Bell. It took like almost a quarter or more before Demarius Thomas finally got a catch. They finally got a couple other players in the offense involved in the game, but at that point, I mean, you already knew from the first or second drive, it just felt exactly like the last game did against the Patriots, like the game against the Browns did, where it's just like, oh gosh, we are not moving the ball in this game, I can already tell. And that was the case. They stacked him against Le'Veon Bell, they shut him down as best they could. He still had an alright game, he had like 95 yards from scrimmage or so, and love Le'Veon Bell, love his effort. I am thanking the Lord that Le'Veon Bell is not injured right now, going into this healthy spurt for the New York Jets. We'll get into that a little bit more later. The Jets are basically relying on Le'Veon Bell entirely because Luke Falk can't do anything else. Our offense is doing nothing. The Eagles are having long, sustained drives, moving down the field, chipping away, getting it to their tight ends, running the ball pretty well, scoring touchdown after touchdown. Uh, Luke Falk has some turnovers in this game. One time he throws on a fourth and one attempt. He try, like he does a play on a, a flat flare-out to Le'Veon Bell on a fourth and one, which don't love the call, but obviously considering they've been stacking people in the box over and over, and every time we seem to go for it on like a third and one, try to run it up the middle, we're not converting on those. So try something different. Get Le'Veon Bell out wide. Now, this is a play where Le'Veon Bell was open, had the ball thrown at a proper time on a timing route to him. It could have been a first down, but unfortunately Luke Falk in this entire game, kind of the theme of Luke Falk's career in my opinion, is that he waits to see his player physically, he waits to see them open. And then he starts his long release with his really slow throws. And by the time that happens, like another second, two seconds has gone by. And these players are moving so fast that 
everything is different at that point. So he sees Le'Veon Bell wide open, so now he begins throwing the ball. By the time he does that, the Philadelphia Eagle defender cuts the route, runs it back for a pick six. And this is over and over with Luke Falk. He doesn't throw his receivers open. He waits to see them open, and that's something that you just can't do in the NFL. But so that gave a quick score to the Philadelphia Eagles defense. Later in the game, the Jets got sacked 10 times in this game. Nine of them were on Luke Falk, one on David Fales. Another time in this game, Luke Falk is getting sacked, and Orlando Skandrick comes, and as he's hitting him, literally just takes the ball away from him, takes it back to the house, touchdown. They got 14 quick points on the defensive side of the ball. They had pretty good special teams all game. They were getting good returns and things. I mean, over and over, the Jets were starting within their own 20-yard line, unable to get anything going, kicking it back again as it's been for the last couple of weeks, giving the other team great field position, short fields, and it just... That's just kind of how the game went. We knew what it was almost exactly the same as what we saw last week, just against a slightly worse team. They didn't quite pick us apart the way the Patriots did, and their defense wasn't quite as stout as the Patriots was. But overall, like we couldn't do anything on offense, and we constantly were giving the ball back to the other team. Pretty good field position. You can't keep your defense on the field all game and keep asking them to make stops. You can't expect your touchdowns to come from your defense. Right now, the New York Jets have three touchdowns, from their defense and special teams combined. They only have two offensive touchdowns on the entire season. One of them, the pass to Le'Veon Bell in week one, which was a great play. Loved that play. And then this week, the Jets get a touchdown as they are getting absolutely obliterated and there is no hope. (laughs) Let's preface how this all happened. The Jets are punting the ball again and Trenton Cannon gets downfield. There's a mix-up between the special teams unit of the Philadelphia Eagles. The return man thinks that it hit the leg of the guy that was gunning down the field to block and jumps up, touches him in the hand, pops up. Trenton Cannon is there and he picks the ball up. Trenton Cannon actually had a pretty good special teams day and I've never been a big Trenton Cannon fan even in the special teams portion of the game but he had a decent return in this game and then he had this play where he picked the ball up and now the Jets have the ball in basically the best field position they've had it all game long. They start it and within, you know, they get 10 more yards they pick up, and then they do an end-around run to Vincent Smith, who just got picked up onto this team. I mean, we've been waiting for an offensive touchdown for so long, and it comes on a trick run play to a newly acquired wide receiver that almost nobody had ever heard of at this point. Vincent Smith is a 23-year-old, six foot three wide receiver. He's like 200 pounds. Came out of Limestone College, which I've never heard of. I'm sure most people have never heard of it, at least not in terms of football. But he played last year for the Houston Texans. He did start one game, appeared in seven, had five catches, 91 yards. He had a 28-yard touchdown on his first catch of his career. And we signed him off of their practice squad. He's not a guy that was just a free agent lurking around in the streets waiting for work. The Houston Texans kept him on their practice squad the way that we keep guys like Greg Dortch as receivers on our practice squad. So he's a guy that they didn't feel they wanted to give up on. They had hope for him. It's a team with decent receivers, decent depth over there. We scooped him up off their practice squad, bring him in this week, put him onto our active roster, and he gets a freaking touchdown. We picked him up on the, uh, I think, September 23rd, actually. So he's been here for a little bit, but he gets the touchdown. The last guy you'd ever expect, who he may not even be here. With all these guys coming back, Herndon and Copeland and, and Darnold coming back, putting him back onto the active roster, you have to make some roster moves. I mean, what if Vincent Smith is gone and like he's, he came in for one game, had a touchdown for us, and then disappeared? It would be just like one of those really funny stats in New York Jets history from that really bad start to that year when Sam Darnold had mono. But we love to see that from him. We needed to get a touchdown. And, you know, at this point, like, I'm somewhat a fan of the guy because we have two offensive touchdowns in four games, and he's got one of them, and he's 23 years old. 
we hardly have any receivers. No depth, really. I mean, Bellamy's a special teamer. Barrios hasn't developed into a receiver yet. He's more of just a special teamer. Greg Dortch is on the practice squad. Quincy Noon was out and injured. So you're talking about, like, Crowder and Robbie Anderson there. Demarius Thomas comes in. How much time does he have left? We're looking for any hope that we can get any young resurgence there. You know, another this year's Deontay Burnett, perhaps. So maybe it can be Vincent Smith. We'll see. But as far as everything else went on offense for this game, there really was nothing going. I mean, we're talking about 128 total yards of offense on 14 drives. We're talking about 2.3 yards per play. When you take into account the sacks and all the lost lost yardage there, 59 lost yards on sacks, we netted 61 yards in the passing game. I mean, we ran for 67 yards on 19 attempts. Not terrible, but it's a 3.5 yard per rush average. Definitely not something that you want to see. Obviously, they, like I said, they stack guys in the box. So Le'Veon Bell is going to always have a hard time. When Luke Falk is there and has shown that he can't spread the field or get the ball downfield, you really can play one-dimensional defense and say, all right, we're going to stop Le'Veon Bell then because clearly that's all they're going to do. So that's what they do. It makes Le'Veon Bell's days look bad. You know, I thought the defense for the New York Jets actually played pretty well in this game. They only gave up 265 yards. Yes, it was short fields for the Philadelphia Eagles, so it was tough for them to get those strong, stat-padding 90-yard drives. But they threw for 181 yards net. They only rushed for 2.9 yards per rush. So on 29 carries, they got 84 yards. And that's something that I'm really impressed with because the Jets have been a really good rush defense all year. I think they're going to get better with Quinn and Williams in there. I think the unit is going to continue to improve. You bring guys like Jordan Jenkins and C.J. Mosley back, it's going to help a lot too. And they're already really, really doing well in the rush defense department. Pass defense could definitely get better, but that's a whole other story. Um... In this game, the Jets had nine penalties for 52 yards. Eagles also had nine penalties, but nine is too many, regardless of what the other team had. We had three turnovers. Eagles only had one. It was a tough game for the New York Jets. Surprisingly, we had the ball for 29 minutes to the Eagles, 30, almost even, which is pretty upsetting because that means we had to watch Luke Falk do that over and over. Now, obviously, the clock keeps running on a sack, so that probably just adds a bunch of time, and now the quarterback's got to get up, pick himself up. We're not doing any hurry-up offense with Luke Falk, so it's just driving this thing down, just long waiting, you know, three and out that takes three minutes because you're just draining the clock, taking 20 seconds to get up, brush the dirt off and hand the ball to the ref so he can spot it and start the play clock. Overall, just a really bad offensive game for the New York Jets. Three for 14 on third downs. I mean, that's been the story of what we've had with backup quarterbacks. Three for 14 on third downs. You're never going to win the game if you can't convert on third downs. You have to be able to keep your drives going, especially in these games where your defense keeps going back onto the field. You have to find a way to move the sticks forward and at least at least be winning in like the field position game or something like that. You can't just be going three and out, not pushing it forward, not completing on third down. That is the recipe to a 31-6 to loss, which is exactly what we got. Now, I want to get away from the team stuff, go into some player numbers, but first I do want to talk about the season rankings for the New York Jets because we talked about some team stats going on here. But I think it's worth noting that the New York Jets are 7th in rushing yards allowed per game in the NFL. 7th. And like I said last week, because I believe they were 8th last week, and I made the same point that usually when you're a bad team and you're losing games, you know, 24-6, to 31-6 late in the game, the opposing team is trying to run the ball on you, trying to get out of the game, keep their players healthy, and just run the clock down. So running the ball is more important when you're winning the game. When you're behind is when you're passing more, and that's when you start getting inflated garbage time passing numbers. Jets still don't get those. The Jets are 7th in rush defense. 
That's a really good number for the Jets, and that's something that they can definitely hang their hat on right now. It's going to get better as these players come back onto the field and as the offense is a little bit more competent on their side of the ball. Pass defense, 21st in the league at 260 yards per game. Now, part of that is because of the short fields. But still, 21st and 7th overall, considering what we've seen on the field from this New York Jets team, it's not that bad considering. Now, issues that I have are we're 28th in the league, tied for 28th, in terms of sacks. We have six sacks through four games. And with a Greg Williams defense that's supposed to be aggressive, pinning their ears back and getting after the quarterback, that's not enough. Now, I know he doesn't trust in his DBs, his cornerbacks, his players to cover for a long period of time or even on quick throws, but still, it really would be nice to see somebody get through. Leonard Williams, contract year, where are you? Henry Anderson, one of the Jets' best sack artists from last year, where are you? Jordan Jenkins, we know you're one of our best. You've been injured. we got to get you back. But it's really been tough going for the New York Jets in terms of the sack department. We do have, though, you want to look for a positive on the defensive side of the ball, some numbers? We've got the most defensive special teams touchdowns in the NFL. How awesome is that? We've got three. The next most any team has is two. So at least, I mean, imagine if we didn't have those. Imagine if we had none. We'd have, like, we'd be shut out in two of these games so far this year. So thank goodness when you look back on the games, at least we got some points in that uh, that column. But all right, let's move over to player stuff. Really some bad stats overall in this game because we weren't able to control the ball or really control the game in any way, just like last week. So I don't want to touch on it too much, but some of the stuff that I think is most important in games like this, specifically where a team is trying to find its identity and you've got an offensive and defensive game plan that are just so like, all right, we're clearly losing this game. We can do whatever. Let's try this. Let's try that. They got nothing to lose at this point with Luke Falk playing quarterback. You're not going to win the game anyway. So just seeing how the coaching staff decides to play players is something that I find really interesting, especially because it's a new team um, in the Jets coaching staff. It's a new Greg Williams there and Adam Gase and Dowell Loggins. So where do they value guys and where do they see him progressing? Some of those things. So in this game, Le'Veon Bell got his season low of snaps on the field. He played 88% of snaps at 52. So we finally got a little bit of play from Bilal Powell and Ty Montgomery. Both of them took snaps, handoffs. I was really excited at that point. I mean, this game was blown out and I was saying I wanted I wanted Le'Veon Bell off the field way before that. I've been complaining about it for three weeks. His workload needs to be down in these meaningless games without Sam Darnold and the offense on the field. We can't just be working this guy into a coma. But he got a season low in this one. Finally, Bilal Powell got a touch. Finally, Ty Montgomery got a couple handoffs, and Le'Veon Bell only played 88%. Wow. Uh, when you move away from that, wide receivers are a little interesting. This was a, a game where we couldn't throw, and we know the game plan is definitely different with a guy like Luke Falk out there with what we've seen. But Jamison Crowder played a season low of 54% of snaps. Now, coming into this game, his season low had been 90%. So big step back for Jamison Crowder. We saw a ton from Demarius Thomas. He played 78% of the plays. Demarius Thomas actually played more plays than Robbie Anderson. And he played more plays than Jameson Crowder. He was your most used wide receiver on the entire team. Joshua Bellamy, he played 11 snaps, just a couple. Braxton Berrios, who led the team in receiving last week, played zero offensive snaps, only played on special teams. Then you had that guy Vincent Smith comes in off the streets on September 23rd, not off the streets, off the practice squad of the Houston Texans. He plays 12%, so ahead of Berrios. So interesting to see the pecking order this week being Demarius Thomas, followed by Robbie Anderson, Jamison Crowder, Joshua Bellamy, Vincent Smith, Braxton Berrios. A lot different than what we saw last week where it was more Robbie, Jamison, Braxton. Tight ends. In this game, they just decided to go heavy on tight ends. They did a lot of two tight end sets. 
Ryan Griffin played his most 97% of snaps. Trevon Wesco played his most 32% of snaps. Daniel Brown played his most 24% of snaps. Season high for all three of those guys. So clearly the Jets were worried about the offensive line. And st- I mean, how much did that help us? They got 10 sacks and we were playing two tight end sets almost all game long. Very bad. We got to make some adjustments there. But Sam Darnold will help. Now, when you talk about the offensive line, Kelechi Assembly doesn't play in this game. So we've got an Alex Lewis replacing him, guy we traded for in the offseason with the Baltimore Ravens, one of Joe Douglas's first moves. Then on the right side, we start Chuma Adoga in place of Brandon Shell. It's a healthy scratch. Brandon Shell is healthy to play. We just decide it's time to bench somebody, make a change, put Chuma Adoga in. Now, in my opinion, Kelvin Beecham is playing worse football than Brandon Shell. They want to get Chuma Adoga involved because clearly the offensive line needs to get something different going on, especially with Luke Falk in there at quarterback. We got to try something different. I think the the initial thought would be we got to get Kelvin Beecham out of here because he seems to be playing the worst in the offensive line of anybody, in my opinion. So you'd put Chumadoga there, but left tackle is such an important position on the offensive line that you don't really want to risk this guy's first start being on the left side. That's the blind side of a right-handed quarterback where you can't see him. You've seen the movie The Blind Side with Michael Orr. Left tackle is considered the blind side because when you're standing with a right-handed thrower, you got your left foot forward, you can't see the guy coming behind you, and that's when you can get your head basically taken off. So left tackle is the most important side. You don't want to put Chuma Adoga there in the first game. So unfortunately, you have to keep Kelvin Beecham there. And good thing, too, because even on the right side, Chuma Adoga was manhandled all game long, constantly letting guys buy him. I'm going to give him a pass for now because the offensive line is in shambles. We don't have any sort of continuity there. Luke Falk is playing terrible third-string quarterback, holding onto the ball for way too long. And this is his first game ever against what's usually a really good defensive front in the Philadelphia Eagles. So... It's going to be a work in progress for him. I think he still has time to develop and get better. I don't think all is lost for Chuma Adoga because he had a terrible first game at right tackle. But we need to see more from him. And if he keeps playing like that three, four, five more times in a row, then, you know, his time playing on the field will be numbered. But again, Kelvin Beecham had a really bad game. Ryan Khalil, bad game. Alex Lewis, I mean, he fills in for Kelechi Semele. Kelechi Semele hasn't specifically been a really dark spot on the roster. He hasn't been terrible on the roster for the offensive line. Alex Lewis quietly not doing great there either. Brian Winters, I mean, across the board. But we said it. They're stacking guys in the box. The quarterback's holding on to the ball for too long. It's going to make it look bad. They're always going to have guys plug in those holes. Le'Veon Bell's not going to get wide open holes to run through and pad the stats of the O-line. When you talk about ranking the O-line, because everybody's talking about this right now, how bad the O-line is. So I just want everyone to remember this real quick. When you talk about rankings for an offensive lineman, you talk about, well, here's the place he got blown up on. Here's the place that he did well on. Yada, yada. These are what he messed up and this is why he had a bad game when they're putting everybody just watching Le'Veon Bell on a snap and they're just saying all right you're going to go on the left side of Ryan Khalil you're going to go on the right side of Ryan Khalil and you're going to go after Le'Veon Bell because we all know he's getting the football which is basically what these teams are doing then there's no chance that Ryan Khalil is going to have success there they know the play before it happens they're just sending guys they don't need to have linebackers back in zone coverage because Luke Fox not making any throws to these receivers anyway so you just shove those holes in, you get in there before Le'Veon Bell can do anything, you tackle him for two-yard loss, and Ryan Khalil looks like he screwed everything up. But that's not necessarily the case. It's because they're blasting right through, and they know what they're doing, and they're just not worried about Luke Falk. They're, let Luke Falk beat us. I think they probably could have blitzed nine or ten guys on every single play, and Luke Falk probably would have a hard time completing a pass, even though there'd be two, three guys wide open in the middle of the field, hanging, the, you know, jumping up and down with their hands in the air. He'd still probably just take the sack. So for those reasons, it makes them look a lot worse. But we saw some changes there on the offensive line. A lot of people wanted it. I think a lot of people are still looking for Ryan Khalil to get placed by Jonathan Harrison. 
We'll see what happens in this next coming week. We need to get a little bit better for Sam Darnold. Got to keep him upright, let him do what he does best. But he moves well in the pocket, and he's going to get rid of the ball a lot faster. And it is going to be a much better looking unit. Moving over to the defensive side of the ball, some things that we found interesting in this game. Quinton Williams is back, and he plays a ton of snaps, 78%, which is more than Steve McClendon, who played 53%. So right away, you're seeing Quinton Williams is the guy at nose tackle, right in the middle, defensive tackle, depending on what the Jets are playing, a 4-3-3-4. They switch between the two. Quinton Williams, I thought he looked really good. I thought that he was pushing up the middle multiple times. I thought that he was reading the screenplays well, made a couple tackles. He almost had a sack that... Uh, Carson Wentz, kind of embarrassingly on a third down, shrugged off Quinn and Williams, but he won't make that mistake again. He was just, it happened so fast. He got through. Carson Wentz was there. He didn't want to hit him high, probably thinking, where do I hit this guy? And then Wentz ducked it over, shrugged him off, completed the third down pass. That was a bummer, but Quinn and Williams was making a push up the middle, looked like a strong anchor. When he was pushing, he was getting his hands up, trying to block passing lanes, and that's going to be helpful for the Jets. I think that he looked like a player that we want to have out there. I'm glad that he's on this team. And he's going to be a big improvement for this defensive line. That was essentially his first game playing healthy this season. So we'll see how much better he gets as the year goes on. And as the team gets its players back and we start to get a little bit of a rhythm, I think we're going to see Quinton Williams shine. And uh, and at a great time, because Steve McClendon's getting old. We can't play him for too long. Foley Fadakasi, obviously he doesn't play any snaps this game with uh, Quinton Williams and Steve McClendon taking the lion's share, all of it. Speaking of the Lion, Leonard Williams, he plays 81% of snaps. This guy's in a contract year. He's got to start playing better. He's getting penalties. He's making almost no impact. And it's like, this is the time when you have to be good. This is when you get your contract. I mean, when you're thinking from a personal standpoint, as a Jets fan, you're like, we're probably just going to get either a big discount on him. Maybe instead of paying him $11 million if he had a good season, we can pay him 7 and keep him. I still think there's hope for him. I don't think he's a terrible player. But there's the other side that's like, maybe you can use that $7 million, $8 million elsewhere. So maybe you don't keep him. He's got to step up. And having Quinn Williams there should help him. Getting Henry Anderson back. Henry Anderson got shaken up with a shoulder injury in this game, so he only played a few snaps. Made a little bit of an impact when he was playing, but when we get that unit out there together, these guys have to prove that they deserve to be on the field. We got a little bit of play from Kyle Phillips, 66%. He's moved himself up to basically the next guy in the rotation. You got your your standard, you'd think Leonard Williams, Quinn Williams, and Henry Anderson. The next guy in there is Kyle Phillips, the young undrafted rookie. Great to see him work his way up the depth chart like that. Then you had Steve McClendon, who's in there a bit. And then it was Bronson Kafusi. He's no longer on the team. This week, they have Jordan Willis, who was a recent acquisition for the team. He plays 47% of the snaps. So he's kind of entering the fray now. Made a couple plays in this game. John Franklin Myers, who was picked up from the Rams, still hasn't played a snap out on the defensive line. Moving to the linebackers. Outside linebacker's a mess. We're playing a bunch of nickel and stuff, so you're definitely losing a linebacker when you do that. But Harvey Lange, he's playing 10% of snaps. Frankie Louvu's playing a season-low 9% of snaps in this game. I mean, where are these guys? Albert McClellan, he's not playing on the field. It's Terrell Basham, who's playing more than three quarters. Same with Blake Cashman, who's in the middle next to Hewitt, and Hewitt's playing 100%. And other than that, you're basically saying, we'll do Basham, we'll do Hewitt, and we'll do Blake Cashman. A couple plays, we'll try Luvu, and we'll try Lange. But other than that, we're basically going to use that spot to replace with the nickel Brian Poole, who's basically playing every snap, 97% in this game. Daryl Roberts plays 99%. This is where it gets absolutely ridiculous. Ready? Nate Hairston's been playing cornerback in replace of Trumaine Johnson, who absolutely sucked. So in game two against the Browns, Nate Hairston comes in and plays 94% of snaps. That's Trumaine Johnson's first time getting benched. 
and everyone says, oh, this is crazy. The Jets are actually making a change, saying, oh, we're going to bench Jermaine Johnson for not playing well. Ego check. Maybe this guy's going to start, you know, figuring this stuff out because we're tied to this contract for at least another year after this one. Nate Harrison in game three against the Patriots plays 100% of snaps. Again, I think he looks like the best cornerback on the team in these two games. I'm like, all right, Nate Harrison, I'm glad that he's out there because he's actually playing some impactful, good football. Game four against the Philadelphia Eagles, Nate Harrison doesn't play a single snap. Instead, Trumaine Johnson plays every single snap except for one. And Trumaine Johnson probably played the worst cornerback play of anybody in this game. I mean, he didn't do anything at all. He wasn't covering a guy. He was getting penalties, and he was getting burned over and over. So why is Nate Harrison not back on the field? It just it blows my mind. I get I get what they were doing. I think what it was was we're going to sit Trumaine Johnson for two games, and then we're going to let him come in and, you know, Trumaine Johnson, hey, you're not playing well. You're not going to play against the Browns. You're not going to play against the Patriots. Get your stuff together. And then it comes to the Eagles game. There, Okay, Trumaine, this is your game. You're getting back in there. Show us what you can do. You get one game to do it. He didn't do it. I mean, I think you got to go right back to Nate Harrison. I think you got to take Trumaine Johnson. As much as it hurts and stings and burns, this guy's getting paid $15 million, and he's getting paid next year, too, to play this guy. You know, sit him on the roster and watch everybody say, oh, my gosh, what a failure that was. But you know what? It's not Joe Douglas's failure. It's not Adam Gase's failure. It's Mike McCagnon's failure. And he's not worth having on the field right now, not when he's playing like this. Nate Harrison's playing best cornerback for the Jets, followed by, well, it's Brian Poole's playing the best cornerback, followed by Nate Harrison, followed by Daryl Roberts. Those are the only three guys that were playing other than Trumaine Johnson. Arthur Mollett's not getting any snaps. So it's just, it was kind of mind-blowing to me. And then you got your safeties. Marcus May still healthy. Awesome. This is a long stretch for him of being healthy, which is surprising. I suppose, uh, I, I'm glad that he's out there. He still isn't quite where he was, I thought, when he was playing at his best, but I think he'll get there. Jamal Adams playing great football, made a couple nice plays in this one. He's playing every single snap. Now, when you get into the individual player stats in this game, there's not much to talk about because the offense was just so stagnant in this one. Luke Falk completes 15 passes, but it's only for 120 yards, and almost all of those goes to Le'Veon Bell. I mean, David Fales came in for a drive at the end, handed the ball off twice, and got sacked. There's no no stats to be proud of or, or write home about. In this game, Le'Veon Bell gets 43 rushing yards. His long was a 13-yard carry. The big highlight play of the game was Vincent Smith's run, 19 yards for a touchdown. Most catches on the team, Le'Veon Bell, seven catches for 45 yards on nine targets. So, I mean, decent game for him, but everybody knew the ball was going to him, so it was a really tough task for him. He finds a way to make something out of nothing, doesn't he? I mean, third and one, he'll stop in the backfield and find a lane and convert on third and one. I mean, he'll find a way to get extra yards, and you're like, oh, this play is blown up. He cuts in, uses a blocker a way you didn't think he would, and picks up eight, nine yards, and it's refreshing for an offense that can't get the ball moving. It's going to be really nice when we do get the ball moving, and he's combining that with Sam Darnold and Robbie Anderson, Chris Herndon, Jameson Crowder. It's going to be a sight to see. But in this game, Demarius Thomas, we said that he played the most snaps at wide receiver, 78%. He showed it in his output. In this game, he had four catches for 47 yards. He had a nice long of 16, had a couple nice plays, picked up some first downs. The big issue with Demarius Thomas in this game, you know, he looked healthy, which is great, but there was a ball that was thrown deep to him and actually went through his hands. The opportunity for the longest play of the entire game for the New York Jets slipped right through Demarius Thomas's hands, so that was the really disappointing one. Other than that, Robbie Anderson had one catch for 16 yards. He's got to be frustrated in the contract year. I mean, he's going to make his excuses that it's Luke Falk's fault, it's everybody else, but right now, I mean, his numbers are looking ugly. And he's in a contract year trying to prove that he deserves, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten plus million dollars. Jameson Crowder, a guy that was fan favorite of Sam Darnold in week one, 
two catches for 10 yards. He's been quiet. Ryan Griffin, our tight end who's out there for almost every single play these days, one catch for two yards. Don't worry, that will change this week. Adam Gase has been non-committal on the impact that Herndon will have this week. He says that, you know, we have to see where these guys are at before we just say that Herndon's going to play. But let's be real. He played in preseason and did well. He's perfectly healthy. He's going to show up to this training camp and be an instant ignition to this offense. Sam Darnold's going to be like, uh, no, I need my boy Herndon on the field. It's one of his biggest weapons. So I'd be shocked if Chris Herndon doesn't play the most snaps at tight end for the New York Jets this coming week which moves everybody else down a spot. Ryan Griffin, Trevon Wesco, and Daniel Brown. Daniel Brown could be off this roster very soon. I don't think they're going to cut Trevon Wesco because he was an early draft pick for the New York Jets, but I think Daniel Brown could easily be one of those guys that has to be, uh, you know, got to make some room. And at this point, I mean, we don't have great tight ends to begin with, and he's the bottom of the barrel, and he's not doing well. No production. I mean, what's the point in hanging out of that guy right now? Moving over to the defensive side of the ball, again, we see Neville Hewitt kind of having a nice statistical game. 10 tackles, leads the team in tackles in this one, has a quarterback hit, has a tackle for a loss. Pretty good tackler. The big problem with Neville Hewitt is he can't cover, and we saw Carson Wentz was very good at this game at finding mismatches. Every time Neville Hewitt was covering Alshon Jeffrey, the ball seemed to go to him. Every time one of the defensive linemen was covering the running back, the ball seemed to go to him. Some of those ridiculous things. Carson Wentz is a good quarterback. He was finding the mismatches. Neville Hewitt covering anybody that's not a slow second-string tight end or a fullback or something like that, is basically a mismatch. He's not great at it. Uh, he hasn't shown any improvement in that category, in my opinion. But he's a very good run stopper, and he's showing it when he's out there. He's leading the team in tackles almost every week, and he's finding a way to get to the quarterback here and there, get some tackles for a loss, and get quarterback hits and sacks. So I'm happy with Neville Hewitt's play overall for what we're getting from, you know, he's supposed to be the number three or four linebacker on the depth chart. Avery Williamson, C.J. Mosley, definitely ahead of him. And then, like, him and Blake Cashman fighting for that number three spot. The other one would be number four. So you can only expect so much out of this guy. But we got to be pleased with it. Jamal Adams, he had a good game. You know, he had a pass deflection on a really nice play. He's still getting out there for tackles. Had second most tackles on the team. Uh, Terrell Basham, I think he was the guy that was getting in the backfield the most for that defensive line or outside linebacker, whatever you want to call it. But for that front guy, he had two tackles for a loss. Had a bunch of tackles. Quinn Williams, we talked about him. He's playing well. I like Brian Poole still. He's been playing good cornerback for the New York Jets. He did uh, get beat on a couple plays in this game, but he was tackling well. He's a very physical cornerback, and he's not really getting exposed all that often, playing better cornerback than most of what we've seen for this year. Not much more to cover on the defensive side of the ball. Special teams-wise, I mentioned that Trenton Cannon had a pretty good special teams game. Braxton Berrios had a pretty good return game. He still hasn't muffed a single punt. He's been pretty good in punt. Like, looks like he's catching it cleanly. Looks like a guy that you can trust when it's going to him. He had a couple decent returns for some extra yardage. I think one of them was like 12 yards. That's a pretty good play for him. Um, when it came to kicking, Sam Ficken got one opportunity for 55 yards at like just a garbage time opportunity that was just a really far. Let's just see if he can make it. He didn't. It was a bad snap and a bad kick. And uh, it's funny that he had a bad snap because Thomas Hennessy just got an extension for $4 million over the next four years. And his first snap on a long snap <laughs> for the field goal kicker just goes way array. Luckily, it's reeled in by Lock Edwards, but not in time for Sam Ficken to get a nice clean kick on the ball. We missed that one. Lachlan Edwards' punting day, in my opinion, was strong. He was booting the ball pretty well. Didn't have any of those Lachlan shanks that we're used to, you know, once every other week. None came in this game. He was kicking it pretty far. So I liked what I saw from Lock Edwards. But it was an ugly game for the entire team. There's not a single player whose performance really stood out as, wow, he played a great game. In reality, this has been a shell of a team since Sam Darnold and C.J. Mosley went down. 
That's two of our best four players. Our best four players are Sam Darnold, Le'Veon Bell, C.J. Mosley, Jamal Adams. And we've been operating this entire year without Sam Darnold and C.J. Mosley, basically. And when they were out there, when Sam Darnold and C.J. Mosley were both on the field, the New York Jets were winning. It was once Mosley left that we started losing. And after that, it was when Sam Darnold was gone that we never were winning again. But don't fret, those days are over. We're still waiting for word on C.J. Mosley. That's the next most important thing right now. We were waiting, waiting, waiting for Sam Darnold. When is he going to get cleared to play? We got to get him back. The next one now is C.J. Mosley. What's up with that groin? When can we get him back on the field? He is an impact player. We only saw him for 70% of the plays in the first game of the year, and after that, he was gone. We lost the game. But he was, you could tell, he was the best player on the entire field for the New York Jets when he was playing. We haven't had him. We have to get him back. And he's going to make a big difference. If you add him and Sam Darnold to this team, if they both play against Dallas, I mean, we're going to have a shot against them. And I do want to get into that Dallas preview real quick, just before we end this episode. But first, I want to touch base with my dad and see what's on his mind for this week's Father Time. Father Time, section where my father, David Burnham, shares his thoughts via email on what he thinks is going on with the New York Jets. Whatever he's thinking. Could be positive, negative, happy, whatever. He could be pissed off about something. I don't care what it is. Just say, hey, just send me something about the New York Jets, and I'm going to read it. And he loves it. He's doing it. Sometimes it's long. Sometimes it's short. This week's a shorter one. But let's see what he's got. Father Time, written by David Burnham. This is obvious. My point is that we need to make back the loss to Buffalo with a surprise win. The Cowboys are looking past us, so a classic setup. We will be very chippy in this game. It looks like a great recipe for an upset. Go Sam. Go Jets. So my dad's feeling it. He is drinking that green Kool-Aid. He is feeling Sam Darnold back in the lineup. He's feeling a chance instantly. It goes from Luke Falk is playing against the Eagles, and it's absolutely lost. This game has no chance in hell. And now we're playing a better team in the Dallas Cowboys. Sam Darnold's back on the field, and it's like, we can win this thing. Just like that. It makes that much of a difference. And I like his point that they're going to be chippy this week. You heard a lot of New York Jets saying stuff on Twitter today. Braxton Berrios saying, yeah, way to get Sam back. Le'Veon Bell saying, can't wait to have Sam back. Super excited, all these things. Everybody's retweeting things about Sam Darnold. The New York Jets posted uh, Sam Darnold's back, cleared to play, and almost all the players are just retweeting something about how excited they are. I think these players also kind of felt like they were, you know, dead men walking out there in a shell of a team. Now, they're still putting their hearts and souls into the game, most of them, because, you know, this is their livelihood. They're still putting tape out on the field for other teams for contracts or future things and whatnot this is their line of work and they take it very pridefully but I think they also knew that they kind of were in a, a sinking ship that couldn't win games with Luke Falk behind quarterback it just wasn't getting any better and they they must have fared, shared that sentiment around the locker room but now with Sam Darnold back there all of a sudden they're like all right excuses are over we've got a reason to play right now let's get the season back on track this is the time we're 0-4 and if we can steal this game we'll get the season right back on track and be where we want to be not 1-4 is not where you want to be but winning games against good teams, getting some momentum, getting some rhythm, getting the juice back in the city. And if it doesn't go the way that they want it to go, they should be chippy. They will be chippy. The Cowboys can be a chippy team. We know that. They're cocky, arrogant. Oh, we're from Dallas. We've got a ton of fans all over. We know how their players are, how they act. But the New York Jets aren't looking to take anything. And if they start, you know, getting some success against the Cowboys, getting the ball moving, looking like they're playing pretty good football, and the Cowboys start getting a little pissed off. Wait a minute, we're supposed to win this game. Your season's over. Ours isn't. They get a little pissed off, and the Jets are saying, whoa, whoa, don't get mad. I, I can easily see this game being very chippy. So that's a really good point. I like that he said that. The Cowboys are probably looking past us. That's what a trap game is, right? They're probably looking the next game on their schedule. Oh, we got to play someone really good in two weeks. 
just so happens to be the division rival Philadelphia Eagles, who are tied with a 3-2 and record for the top of the NFC East. So right now, the Cowboys are thinking to themselves, we beat the Jets, we go to 4-2, and two, and then we get to play the Eagles, and that's where we can really establish dominance in the division and take a, you know, one or two game lead in the NFC East. So right there you hear, you know, we beat the Jets and then we move to, and that's where the trap game comes in because they're already setting their mind on, if we do this, they already are assuming we're going to beat the Jets. And it just causes teams to sometimes play with a little bit less of an edge. And I think that that's what my dad is saying and what we're feeling is possible in this game. Trap games happen all the time in the NFL. You see bad teams play good games. That's why they call it any given Sunday. A lot of that is because you're looking past specific opponents. Teams play up to the competition. They play down to the competition. Now, the Cowboys think that we're a bad team. We're 0-4. Do they realize how much better we just got with the addition of these players? Probably. They're talking about it in their play call rooms. They're talking about it in their coaching rooms. But do they really know how good we're going to be? They may not. They may not. I don't know how good we're going to be. I think it's going to be a hell of a lot better. And frankly, I think we're going to be an above-average team from this point on. What does that mean with 12 games remaining? That means 7 wins. Six, seven wins, above average team, slightly. I don't think we're a playoff team. I don't think we're a super team, but I think we're slightly above average. I do, and we can beat the Dallas Cowboys. So let's get in to the Dallas Cowboys. Thank you, Dad, for that addition to this week's episode. So quickly before we end talking about the Dallas Cowboys, they're a three and two team right now. That is, they're in a dogfight for the top of the NFC East with the Philadelphia Eagles, and that's a great rivalry right there. Those are clearly the two best teams in the division right now, and they are both duking it out for top place. Now, the path to the top place for the Dallas Cowboys goes through the New York Jets right now. Whether they overlook us or not, they know that they have to win this week. So who are some of their key players? Dak Prescott. He's playing really well this year overall, at least in the first four games. Last game, not so much. He had a really ugly game. But on the year, he's got 11 touchdowns, solid, six interceptions, more than he'd like to have. 1,600 passing yards, and some of that's coming in garbage time. We're not going to look too much into that, but he's playing a pretty decent season right now, and he's looking for a contract extension. Ezekiel Elliott. He's got four touchdowns through five games, which is a solid number, with a 4.5 yard per carry average. Great. Unfortunately for him, he's only got 386 yards. It's not terrible, but he's only got two games over 100 yards rushing. He'd love to get another one against the New York Jets. Unfortunately for him, as talented as he is, it's not coming this week. He just ain't getting on the seventh best run defense in the NFL. Not during our coming out party. This is essentially week one all over again. Feels like the start of a new season with slightly less hope and possibility for success. But away from Zeke, they're having some pretty good success passing the ball. Amari Cooper's the number one guy over there. He's got a 512 yards right now with five touchdowns. A monstrous season for Amari Cooper. And uh, we'll see if he gets a big contract. He probably will. The other guys that you're looking at there, Randall Cobb, who we've seen around the league for a long time, and young wide receiver Michael Gallup. Their tight ends are weak. Jason Witten's their main tight end, basically, and that guy just came out of retirement from being a terrible broadcast analyst. Now he's playing back on the field, and, you know, he's definitely old. He's a guy that maybe Neville Hewitt can cover, for example. Their offensive line's a little bit banged up. They may be getting Tyron Smith back, but they had Leal Collins banged up. They uh, have one of the best offensive lines in the entire NFL, we know, when healthy. They spent a ton of money on him, and those guys are absolute bruisers. Be very tough on a defensive line. But if they're injured, banged up, you get some replacements in there, that's when we could potentially strike and get some opportunity. Let's watch Quinn Williams extra in this game and see how he fares against this good Dallas Cowboys front. Moving over to the defensive side of the ball, they usually have a really good defensive line. They got two guys, Demarcus Lawrence and Robert Quinn, super talented guys. 
not huge sack numbers for them. Demarcus Lawrence has three. Robert Quinn has two and a half. You know, don't get me wrong, the entire Jets team has six, and they've got five and a half combined, so it's definitely better than what we've got going on. But those are two really good players. They'd like to see more production out of them. It's not like they got guys in their team who are getting, you know, there's players in the NFL right now who have nine sacks. There are players that have, you know, multiple players who have six sacks, seven sacks. But, you know, when their leading guy has three, it's just not as dangerous a defensive line as we could be facing in the NFL. And that's a good thing because Sam Darnold's coming back. We don't know exactly how rusty he's going to be. And the offensive line hasn't played great in weeks. Now, they do have really good linebackers. So we got to watch out for crossing plays. When we get Jameson Crowder going across the middle and any dishes and, and passes out to Le'Veon Bell, if we try to do a lot of flare stuff and, and things of that nature because Jalen Smith and Leighton Van Der Esch, last year's first-round pick, are really good inside linebackers. I mean, those guys can freaking ball out. And they are going to be all over the field. They make their impact felt instantly, I'm sure. When it comes to their secondary, it is improving. they got some young guys there. Chidobi Awuzie is a guy that we were looking at in the draft a couple years ago. He's a pretty pretty solid player. You know, he's getting better. Um, jury's still out on him as he's super young, but it definitely shows that he's got some skill. And then Byron Jones, who's an upcoming free agent, I believe, that the New York Jets could potentially be targeting, a UConn alum, and he's super physical, strong guy. We'll see if these guys can keep up with Robbie Anderson and with the New York Jets bringing the passing game because it's not going to be what we've been seeing. It's not going to be three-yard passes, negative one-yard passes, and four-yard passes. It's going to be spreading the ball downfield, rolling out, extending plays, finding the receivers in stride. When guys have one-on-one coverage and maybe it's a mismatch, finding that guy, it's all coming this week. The Cowboys are definitely a good test for the New York Jets. going to be a tough team to beat, but it's possible. It's definitely possible. And first quarter of the season, I said the New York Jets would be 1-3 and three, and then lose to the Cowboys, starting 1-4. and four. If the New York Jets beat the Cowboys this week, a surprise win, they will be 1-4. and four. The season isn't necessarily way off track, you know. When the season started, the Eagles were going to be a tough game to win, the Patriots were going to be a tough game to win, and we thought the Browns were going to be a tough game to win. Turns out, the Browns could have been beaten. The Bills are a good team, but we almost beat them. I mean, we are right on the fringe there of being a slightly above average team, and that's where we need to be this year. We were bad last year. You don't go from a terrible team to a Super Bowl contender, but you do hopefully go from a bad team to a solid team, and then from a solid team to a good team, playoff contender, Super Bowl potential. So we just got to make steps in the right direction. We'll see if the Jets can do it this week. This is the most excited I've been for a game since week one. I think all of us feel that same feeling. And I'll make sure that I keep the hype going through Twitter. As always, follow me at Jets underscore Dan on Twitter throughout the week. I'll keep the excitement going. I'm rolling into this week. It's a big one. I'm going to be pulling out all the stops for this game. Sam Darnold jersey's going back on. No more drinking crappy beer, sitting there in our walls. I'm going to be standing for this game, getting absolutely hyped up, and cannot wait to talk about the energy that's brought by the addition of our cavalry. Sam Darnold, Chris Herndon, Brandon Copeland, Quinn and Williams back out, the Demarius Thomas showing that he's healthy, maybe C.J. Mosley, Jordan Jenkins. This is going to be a heck of a game. We feel like we can win, and the fan base is back behind the New York Jets. I've been here all along. We know it, but it feels like everyone else is coming out of hiding a little bit. Like, is it safe to watch the New York Jets again? Yeah, well, I'll tell you right now. It's safe to watch the New York Jets. I'll make a prediction for this game. I'm feeling crazy right now. The New York Jets are going to win this one 31-21. New York Jets win this game. Beat Dallas 31-21. Go to 1-4 and 
get this season back on track and show why we are New York Jets fans and why we are hopeful for next year and years forward with Sam Darnold. We got this guy for 10 to 15 years, and those years are going to be goddamn glorious. So let's get to it this week. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life.